This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Here's a reading of scripture, this morning's text from John 6, verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was approaching. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for all these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not be enough to buy bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here with five barley loaves and two fishes, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 of them in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish to all who were gathered there. And all ate as much as they wanted. And when they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, They began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is coming into the world. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Well, it is good to be with you this morning, been able to worship with you when we started, but I've been away the last few Sundays, and of course haven't led worship here for a while, so I feel a little bit rusty, but you're a, you're a welcoming group. I particularly thank Becky for being uh, with us and providing music, and those who did set up. Mark, uh, it's been a while since he did set up for sound, but looks like looks like he was spot on. I appreciate also having uh, my wife Colleen here, you, many of you know her, and my son Aiden, who you may or may not know. So John, the, the text from John this morning, John 6, is the lectionary passage for the day. That's the passage given for a particular Sunday. Now even in retirement, which I am, it's a, it's a good discipline to preach on the text that is given. Less really, why would I preach on this text? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult text. 
It's easy to get lost in the weeds or lost in the sauce, as my young foodie friends put it. <laughs> it reminds me of a new pastor to a church who preached a sermon his first Sunday. It's a great sermon. And everybody thought, wow, we really hit the jackpot here. This is, this is a great preacher, great sermon. And so they all congratulated him after the service and so forth. Well, the next Sunday, he preached exactly the same sermon. Well, they thought that was a little bit strange, but, you know, maybe it was a busy week, getting oriented, all those kinds of things. So, you know, they, they let it go. They were kind folks. Well, the next, the third Sunday, preached exactly the same sermon. Well, they figured they needed to have a word with him, so the head of the diaconate spoke with him, and she said, look, you know, it's a great sermon, but really, don't you have another sermon? He said, well, of course I do, but you haven't done anything about the first one yet. Uh, well, this is not, that is not the case here. The question that I want to pose to you as we look at this text is what do we do with things that we find incredible, just hard to believe from the scripture? Do we hold our nose and accept them anyway? Do we toss out the whole Bible? I mean, who would believe such unscientifically out of bounds kind of stuff? Do we try to find a natural, more sophisticated explanation from our modern read superior perch? to explain what those poor first century folks didn't get and attribute it as a miracle? Or do we excise those bits from the scripture that don't fit, creating our own edition of the Bible much like Thomas Jefferson did? Well, I think I've done all those things at one point or another, but I don't think any of them are the most appropriate option. See, I take the Bible very seriously, and I find that it has amazing consistency. If I let it be its own interpreter and let the question that I ask of the scripture not be, is this true, but how is this true? In other words, what are the original communities that included the story of perhaps a miracle or any number of other devices trying to say? Particularly, how does it function? in the text, what point is so essential that they applied this device and all they had at their disposal for storytelling to get the point across. Now the text from John I think is a good example. Feeding the 5,000, I mean it's so familiar but also, as I said, it's so easy to get lost in the sauce advantage this morning, though, is that it also helps us to look at the wider question that I just posed. And in fact, I think that's really the only question that we can answer from this text. Now, as you know, there are lots of miracles in the Bible, in the Hebrew and Christian scriptures as well. People often see the miracles in the Christian scriptures as proof of Jesus' divinity. But lots of folks do miracles in the scripture both the Hebrew and the Christian scripture, as I said, who are not named Jesus, for whom no claim on them is made of divinity. Rather, 
The miracles in the Christian scriptures make a proclamation about Jesus' Messiahship. Simply, and not so simply, the one who brings that new age. Divinity and Messiah in the first century Judaism were totally separable things. So let's look at some of those stories that our gospel writers and their audience would have been so familiar with. First, there was Moses. He had a whole raft of miracles at his disposal. Of course, empowered by God, which is the point. Not magic, but miracle. His miracles are employed first for the release of the Israelites, and then while babysitting them in the trek through the wilderness. You might remember his staff turning into a serpent, which did not overmuch impress Pharaoh, who had his own magicians turn their staff into snakes. And then in a great show of one-upsmanship, of course, Moses' snakes ate their snakes. <laughs> and then there was the thrusting of the hand into the bosom, Napoleon style, coming out with leprosy or turning the Nile into blood, or the infestation of gnats and frogs and flies, and then the Egyptian cattle coming down with mad cow disease or some such thing. And these are just warm-ups to what he did in the wilderness. And then along come Elijah and Elisha, some 400 years later, inaugurating the prophetic age. They also do first nature miracles, calling down fire from heaven, extending oil and meal that did not diminish in order to keep the widow and her son alive. Elijah demonstrates a new power then when he raises the only son of that widow from the dead. And then he raises a child of a Syrian official from the dead. He heals the leprosy of that general from Syria, Naaman, and another wonderful story. And in our passage from 2 Kings that R.T. read, we see a foreshadow of Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 in the wilderness. Of course, here the great prophet feeds a crowd out in the wilderness, also with some left over. And that story would have been very familiar to the listeners of our first century evangelists. Now, as time went on, and the Jewish faith evolved, they began to anticipate the fulfillment of God's promises, which would mark the end of this age and the beginning of the new age, the ending of this corrupt age that seemed there was no way to impact it, certainly no chance of it changing, bringing in a new, a new age, the reign of God. And listen to how they describe that in chapter 35 of Isaiah. Water will flow from the deserts, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame leap, and the mute will sing. These are all signs of that new age. In other words, wholeness for persons and society will, will replace the current brokenness and division in humanity. Now Jesus' miracles are like those that went before, but greater than those done by the lawgiver or the prophet. He's shown doing nature miracles, calming the sea, feeding the 5,000 on just two loaves and fishes and 12 
baskets full left over to Elijah's mere feeding of a hundred or with hundred people with twenty loaves and barley to boot. A comparative meager meager miracle, I would say. Jesus does raising of the dead miracles as well. The child of a government official, he raises like Elisha did. The son of a widow, he raises like Elijah did. And in John's Gospel, he raises the man Lazarus, even though he had been long, so long in the tomb as to be ritually unclean. Well, and actually unclean as well, for as the King James Version puts it, he stinketh. <laughs> it does, it's there, you can look at us. <laughs> he heals not just one leper, but ten. The only one, the foreigner, comes back to thank him and give the credit to God. But there's something new in Jesus' miracles, especially the healing miracles. They release the captive. He releases the captive as in the Gerasene demoniac, captive to his mental illness, and tells him to go and proclaim what has happened. They can see his release. And the little boy with seizures releases him and his family. He gives voice to the mute, hearing to the deaf, restoration to those the community othered because they were judged not to be whole because they were ritually or literally unclean. Lepers, women with the flow of blood, those with withered limbs. And in that age then, keeping them out of community and thus community was not whole. I'm not sure we've come very far since. Now anytime you talk about healings, I need to be very clear that you need to be very careful not to see that folks with whatever disabilities need to be healed of those disabilities. We need to ask the question of the text for those things as well. How does it function in the text, particularly in those days? And nowadays, who needs to be healed is really the larger society. So let's be clear about that when we're talking about healings especially. Remember in Mark and Matthew's Gospel when John the Baptist seems to doubt, have doubts about if Jesus is the Messiah. So he sends his disciples to ask if it is he or should they look for another, another who is the bringer of the new age. Jesus doesn't respond directly, but he instructs John's disciple to go back and tell him what they have seen. And that is that the blind who came in contact with Jesus can now see the deaf can hear the lame leap, and the speechless have found their voice. Now here at Howell and UCC, we come from a lot of different church and non-church backgrounds. Praise the Lord. Some are Christian believers from way back. Some are recovering from that. Some don't claim a faith perspective. All of that is welcome. Some believe probably in miracles that are presented in the scripture and that that works for you that's just fine. For others they can't be dealt with if taken unless taken metaphorically 
Though some of you still may be wondering, given the messages you grew up with, if that's really okay or if God is going to get you somehow, sometime. Just as a side note for those folks, it's interesting to note that the greatest evangelist and theologian of all, Paul, never makes any reference to any of Jesus' miracles, and yet he is absolutely convinced, staked his life, lost his life, on that conviction that Jesus is the one who has inaugurated the new age. And indeed, some have tossed out the whole scriptural thing, as I said. Or think, or maybe because you think it's too buried in the past to sort out or to have any relevance for us. But I think all these ways are still at risk of being lost in the sauce. Remember, the first century gospel writers had a huge task. That was convincing people what they knew in the very core of their being, what they had experienced themselves and in community and continue to experience in community that we hopefully sometimes do as well. And that's that the new age of liberation, which is what salvation means, the new age of hope and peace had dawned in Jesus, an age where there was not outsider or insider, blessed or blamed, privileged or the less so. And though we have heard it, that proclamation for 2,000 years, or maybe because we have heard it for 2,000 years, those first century evangelists have at least as big a challenge with us. We too, like our first century siblings, they in occupied territory by the Romans, we occupied by so many subtler things, are infected perhaps by an assumption that things can't really change. Or for us, we don't really want things to change because the present system serves us quite well, thank you very much. Or maybe for us, we can tweak things here or there for better inclusion of others in our enterprise. Or maybe we have the misconception that faith will solve all of our problems, help us feel better, or that a savior will help us to get our shell share in that present system that we'll be able to get our share of the goodies. Well, you see, their proclamation is none of those. It is that God in, through Jesus, beginning with Jesus, brings a whole new system, a new age. And indeed, from our point of view, that may seem like it would take a miracle. Like, like a person going through the eye of a needle. Or feeding 5,000 people and having some left abundance rather than scarcity. You see, ultimately, it doesn't matter how you answer the question of miracles in the scripture as long as your answer 
doesn't get in the way of hearing the proclamation of those gospel writers. Through story, tradition, the place of miracles in the tradition and in the psyche of the people, they speak, as I said, a truth that they knew in their very core, and that's that the new age promised of God had dawned and was alive among them. It's that simple. And it's that earth-shattering. No wonder we prefer to get lost in the sauce. But you see, their call is for us, for us as well, to understand that that proclamation still means something. It means something world-transforming. It's a call. It's a call powerfully alive here and now for us. For us to embrace that reality. That reality where all have a seat at the table. That reality where justice, tempered by mercy, prevails. That reality where past injury or injustice does not shape our futures. Where a blind person is seen and sees themselves as a valuable and valued member of society, where one doesn't have to be able to stand up in order to stand in the dignity of who they are, where those deafened by the siren song of material wealth and power come to hear the still, small voice, the still, small voice of God sufficient for all of our needs, where those muted by a cacophonous society and pushed to the margins speak their truth and are heard, where those parched on the plains without enough to eat have enough and plenty more. That new age where we hear, beyond those death dead places in each of us, those places of regret and anger and apathy that entomb us, the voice that says, arise, come out, be alive. My friends, this is no miracle. It is simply the way of God working among us. Maybe so. Amen. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org. Mm-hmm.